Hi, I'm Sanera Madani, and I'm a mom of two, a daughter of an immigrant and an unlikely entrepreneur who went from scaling an idea to a billion dollar business. Yes, a billion dollar business. Along the way, I learned that less than 2% of female founders ever hit 1 million in revenue. And I became obsessed on a mission to change that. I believe that there is so much gatekeeping in business knowledge and that we as female entrepreneurs should be learning from other female founders and leaders who have broken the statistics. Since I never went to CEO school, I've had to learn it all the hard way, but you shouldn't have to because we believe that you deserve to have it all. And honestly, nothing bad happens when women make more money. Grab a seat because class is officially in session. Welcome to CEO School. Hey everyone, it's Sanira here. CEO School is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are part of a family of shows designed to help professionals listen, learn, and grow by providing access to the world's leading B2B podcasts like Being Boss, hosted by Emily Thompson. Being Boss is an exploration of not only what it means, but what it takes to be boss as a creative business owner, freelancer, or side hustler. I recently enjoyed listening to Emily share her five top tactics for achieving a good work-life flow, whatever that looks like for you. Listen to Being Boss wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, CEO School. How are you? I am so pumped today for our fireside chat guest. Tiffany uh, Demur is the founder and CEO of Upkeep, the first digital marketplace in the United States to provide on-demand, wait for it, med spa treatments. This is so cool. I'm so excited. Upkeep generated over 300,000%, 300,000% revenue growth in the first six months, literally after its launch. And Tiffany just finished raising a $2 million seed funding round. After an impressive career in high-profile positions at companies like Matrix, Wesco, and M3 Group, Tiffany took her eye for aesthetics and her leadership roles into pioneering into the digital beauty space. Tiffany and Upkeep have been featured in numerous publications from Crunchbase to the Wall Street Journal and many, many more. And I'm just so excited to have you here today, Tiffany, to share the entrepreneurial journey because we've got so many women that have ideas that get started, but it's not about ideas don't make you an entrepreneur, execution does. And that's exactly what you've done with Upkeep. And so first, welcome to CEO School. We're so excited to have you. Could you tell us a little bit about Upkeep and how you got started? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for the introduction and really excited to be here as well. So I came up with the idea for Upkeep through a personal problem, classic story. I, My old role was uh, in London and I, I wanted a hydrofacial and I felt this weird wall with my phone that that was the one appointment I couldn't get on the schedule and I didn't have time to kind of call around and say, hey, do you have availability? And then when I got back to the States, I kind of realized that the entire medical aesthetic category has completely transformed. So Botox, fillers, body contour, laser hair removal is now being used like the new color cosmetic or skincare amongst a much younger consumer set. So people are now starting in this vertical in their 20s rather than in their 40s, yet there had been no kind of marketplace addressing those needs in that community. And of course, getting them those appointments on their timeline. We all have extremely busy lives (laughs) and we just want to go on Thursday. And it it has become, and that's why I called it upkeep. It is a little bit of the (laughs) the maintenance program we have to put ourselves through uh, as females, I guess. Although the male category is is definitely growing, finally. uh, funny point on that. One of my best friends, her husband said, if you ever get Botox, I'm divorcing you, but she'd been doing it for six years. So <laughs> this was also something that is one of the last uh, female suppression categories, if you will, uh, not allowing um, people to enjoy it or want to use it. Uh, the stigma ki- kind of finally lifted 
uh, these past two years, honestly. But before that, it was something we all were lying about to our friends and family. I think it's – there's so much to say here. Congratulations on first just getting this business off the ground, seeing a need for it. I, it's it's so true. I think when we – great companies are born out of our own biggest personal challenges or problems that we see. And it's just it, – it makes it so much more real when you feel like you've solved the problem that you didn't have a solution for. And I think that many women here – um, that are listening, that are here live, can absolutely relate to what you're talking about um, in terms of there's so many things to unpack. So first, on-demand services, right? Being able to do things on our own time. Life is so busy. I actually dislike using the word busy. It's full, right? But it's it's so over full with so much noise. There's, um, you know, especially in America, right? I think that I've seen across the world, I travel all the time, and life just works at a different pace here with our work being the priority in our lives. And so when that is a priority, we really don't get all the other time to do the self-care, to take care of ourselves. But there's still a laundry list of things that we have to get done. And so the lack of time is huge. And then secondly, um, you know, the on-demand economy, like there is this, there is a rise in on-demand economy that has not fizzled out. Like it's only becoming more and more relevant to all of the services that we need as humans that people just we don't want to leave our the comfort of our homes and especially when you when you're talking about um you know spa treatments like medical spa treatments like botox and hydrofacials and all of the upkeep that as women we we do do right we want to do it in the comfort of our homes and i think that it is genius and it's it's so needed. So I, I'm like I just love your business concept, and it's it makes complete sense. And I think all women here will agree. Amazing. <laughs> You're like yeah, okay, amazing. No, and then you know something that I I also think about the on demand piece. Like I I do think that um you know there is opportunity for like this like talk to me a little bit about uh how you got how you got this like product and I like out of out of um out of the gate right so let's let's take that back how did you actually take this concept from your first hydrofacial right that you were trying to book to actually designing the application to getting your first customers on board could you walk us through that journey what was that journey like yeah oh man that was a that was a journey for sure especially uh being a solo female founder and uh, the venture dollars, uh, well, I forget the the percentage, 1.7% of, of venture funding in 2021 went to uh, female exclusive founders. So, uh, you know, I had the idea, I really did want to uh, go after it, but kind of putting those pieces together of finding engineers and, and figuring out just how to put that puzzle together honestly so did you have a tech background I, I did not I moved to San Francisco when I was 17 uh not that that gives you a tech background but it was certainly <laughs> a tech scene and so I had been exposed to um startups and like kind of understood from from that perspective I did work at a cloud solutions company so basically a private uh, AWS for a period of, of time. So I, I had some exposure to it, but I don't actually code, nor do I have any technical training. Uh, and I think you just have to like, if you, if you know, I had been kind of populating different buckets around different ideas that I was working on, but I always felt like there was something that kind of stopped me or I was like, mm, I'm not ready to risk everything for that one. But, but when I came up with this one, it was just green light after green light after green light. And I thought, you know, I have to do it or someone else is definitely going to like this category is not going away. And yeah. I'm seeing that the stigma is about to lift. Younger people are going to be using it on mass. Males are going to be using it. It is the new skincare, the new makeup, the new um, kind of just everything in, in self-care and maintenance uh, and it is like a more scientific and actually tested to be healthier. Uh, it's part of my old job. We manufactured color cosmetics uh, and skincare for luxury brands. And trust me, the ingredients 
that we're ingesting through skincare are much worse for you than Botox. So uh, that is a kind of misconception still there that uh, some of those treatments are better for you. The, the thing with those are they're not being tested for human consumption, whereas Botox is. So I think the, the, the key point there, though, is once you know, like, it's the right thing and you see that moment in time and it's the right timing, you just have to keep trying to knock pieces down until it, it so at some point makes sense. Because certainly when you start, it definitely doesn't. <laughs> and you get a lot of no's and a lot of it's not going to happen, but you just can never give in to that feeling. I love that advice. And it's so true. And I still think that it still feels chaotic and sometimes doesn't make sense even as you scale. So that is, I, I've, I've accepted the fact that that is the feeling of being an entrepreneur, just like living in that chaos always, whether it's you get through the first several no's and then you get some yeses, you get those green lights, and then you come onto this next piece of your journey. And then there's other milestones to go tackle. And it's like, you know, new, new level, new devil. Uh, and so there's, there's always that stage in growth that is going to take place where it feels like everything's breaking. So we're used to it, right. As entrepreneurs, but when you talked about female entrepreneurship and you went back to the fact that in 2021 and the statistic I've heard between one to 3%, I've heard it in different, you know, publications that, uh, that have referenced the statistic that still less than like roughly 2% of female founders do not raise capital. Like 98% of venture capital to build and scale businesses is still going to like the other half. Like it, it's it's absurd that the statistics are that, um, you know. And it's not for lack of trying. It's not no. that less female founders are asking for capital. That's the other sad part about it. <laughs> Yeah. So why do you think that is? And what do you think made you successful in raising capital? And what advice do you have for women that are in that category that need to, uh, you know, have access to venture funding to scale? What advice do you have for them? So I'd love to kind of learn a little bit about your journey. I definitely have scars on my back and stories that I can share. I'd love to hear some of your stories and what advice do you have for the women in the room that want to want to raise capital? Yeah. And I do think another point on that is even in that tiny percentage, that includes people that went to Stanford and this and that and have these kind of uh, merits on their uh, resume that I certainly don't have either. So it just was uh, kind of like, why would we pay attention to you when, when I started? So uh, I really did have to originally kind of uh, bootstrap the, the product. And, and you know what it takes to get there was uh, a very long time of, of working, right? So I didn't have that kind of just out of college, Jason Calacanis is going to give me $2 million because I'm a boy and... <laughs> because I have a penis. <laughs> um, and I say like heroic things on Twitter. And so I kind of just had to like start moving the pieces together uh, put my own uh, savings into it. And of course, I've had that track record of working to even get to that place. So we, as females, I do feel like we're starting like below a, a certain uh, level that we then have to catch up to just to even be part of the conversation. So uh, that's definitely still happening. What were some of the conversations taking place? So could you give us a story about when you were raising capital and could you tell us a rejection story and what were the questions yeah. that were asking you? Like, I'd love to, I'd love for, for, for us to expose some of this because I mean, I can start with sharing some of my own. The first time I was raising, um, capital, uh, I have a male co-founder. And so one, I will say that nobody took me seriously in the room. Like it was like I was like the people just assumed I was like the marketing girl or I was like the sec the second in charge that I wasn't actually the CEO. And so one, just even addressing the fact that, hey, like talk to me, like I was not getting the attention was like one part of it. And then two, I would say that the questions that they would ask were so different uh, to my male counterpart than they than they did to me. And something that I did experience, I've raised over 500 million in venture capital I've gone through from seed round to now series D funding. So I've gone through this multiple times. So I feel like I've fundraised and been in every single room imaginable um, to go raise that kind of capital. 
But when I was pregnant, so in my series A, I was pregnant uh, with Mila, my first daughter at the time. And it is like the most like, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you asking me questions about what my, what, who, like, what's going to happen after my baby is born for, uh, like, what's going to happen to my company after I become a mother? Like, that is not one, none of their business to ask me about my pregnancy. But yes, I'm vividly pregnant. I don't want to talk about this. And nothing's going to happen to my company. Me becoming a mother has nothing to do with my career or my day job or my company. Like, it does not make me a less than CEO to have a child. And what was crazy is the fact that my CTO, so our my other co-founder, he was also his wife was pregnant. So I always say he was pregnant at the same time. Like his wife was pregnant at the same time. But it's we're literally co-founders in the company. I'm obviously like we're both having children. Yet, of course, the questions were geared towards like, oh, what's gonna happen? Like, are you gonna be distracted? And those are the assumptions that are made um after like by having a child and having a family that I, I'm not gonna be able to uh to do both. And not even be given an opportunity to, I don't even need to defend myself, but that's what it felt like. I felt like I was dismissed for being pregnant. Yeah, I feel like just overall, their their que- line of questioning. It makes me mad neg- every time I tell that, general. it makes me so mad. <laughs> it, it's so general, negative. It's, it's about worst case scenario, like, why is it going to be you? Like, even if they believe in the opportunity, but when I... Uh, raised for the the first time the the pre-seed if you will <laughs> tiny baby round <laughs> um you know they didn't even really understand the market yet so now my conversations have have uh changed quite a bit because once it gets to later stage private equity uh so some of the medical aesthetic device companies in modes ipo'd hydrofacial spat once it gets to that level, um, they start paying attention to the industry because they can only see historical and numbers. They can't kind of see that future, especially for a uh, uh, majority female-focused product. So some of my earlier questions were just they had no understanding of the industry whatsoever, asking things like, isn't there already something like glam squad, which is like blow X to the <laughs> which has nothing to do with medical aesthetics. And they would say like, oh, I think this is like conflicting to my portfolio company, Gloss Genius. And I'm like, no, that's a salon management tool. We actually integrate with them. And actually we get inbound from uh, providers on Gloss Genius daily now. So I save all those because I just think it's like, how is it your portfolio company, but you don't truly understand the market landscape. So I think earlier on, it was just that, they were not getting it, nor did they believe in the size of the industry. And some of that is due to maybe the lies that we're being told about getting these treatments. So um, the majority of decisions and meetings that I seem to have are certainly with with male uh, VCs. So I think they just didn't necessarily understand the category. You had like two, you had, you almost had like two different challenges, right? So first you had the challenge of like, not having a penis, right? Let's just like we like we we're just we're just gonna get like dismissed out of the room, which I want to unpack here further, uh, because it is absurd. And 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 when you when you have these conversations with like, I have these conversations with every investor. Like now, I mean, I've had so much success. I've raised all the, I've done all the things, and I do ask these questions to my board to. Uh, the companies that I've, I've invested in so many funds. These are the questions that I asked their LPs and they're like, how are you investing? How do you think about this? And they really believe that it's not them, like that they are so, um, that they're not biased and that they are looking for female entrepreneurs. There just isn't deal flow. So the answer I always get back from from funds is that, you know, they would love to invest in more companies like ours and like women founders. And, you know, I am like, you know, I'm a unicorn in many ways, but it's also, you know, it's not the deal flow. It's also where you go look for deal flow as well, because there isn't a lack of female founded companies. 50% of businesses that are started are started by women. So it's not like there are not companies that are not scalable, not venture backable, not investable, or that there's lack there of those businesses by women. That's true. That's 
a fact. That is not true. There is equal amount of businesses started by men and women. So women are not behind when it comes to entrepreneurship. We are behind when it comes to corporate, um, you know, having um, success from a leadership standpoint and having a seat at the table from a corporate um, uh, visibility standpoint, sponsorship standpoint, and leadership, having executive leadership and women in leadership positions. That is still at like 30%. So we are behind there. But when it comes to starting businesses, we're at parity. But still, when we start business, less than 2% of female founders ever even get to that million in revenue. So we can't even get to the first milestones to even go out to say we even have proof of concept to go get venture capital. And I literally think that I think after now doing, God, hundreds of interviews with amazing women like you, speaking, you know, at I don't know how many conferences, mentoring over thousands of women at CEO school, personally living through, having all my friends live through it. I think my like thesis that kind of sums it all up is that men are given investment for their potential while women are given investment for what they've done. Definitely. And so 100%. That's, that's the difference. <laughs> they can see it in a man and because maybe because the people that are also controlling the dollars are men. And I think that's one of the biggest parts of the equation that has to change is we need more women at the venture funds, at the investing table, so that we can see, we can see it in other women because men just aren't seeing that in women. So they're seeing that potential in the man. And for a woman, they just want to see what she's done. And because we haven't, there's like so many things that's already an uphill battle that we haven't been able to really make that amount of progress. So it's like this chicken and an egg, like this is constant conundrum that we're in. And it's insane that it's 2020, 2022 right now. It's about to be 2023. And the stats are, I mean, it's not even like 20% of capital. We're talking 1.7%. And it's like, wake the fuck up world. Like this venture world and the investor world, consumer product world, the whole world. Let's just like wake the fuck up and like, let's do something about this. And there's so much that can be done. So that's the I my, just, like, overall I just thesis. had a call where the guy told me, oh, yeah, so I asked him, like, if, was he interested in the vertical? Like, what did he know about the space? Did they have anything else in their portfolio? Like, how much um, was he involved? And he said, no, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, a specific type of founder. I, I, I can find a, the next Mark Zuckerberg in Budapest. <laughs> like. Okay. What does that even mean, right? Like, what does that even mean? The next founder is sitting well, right in front for of you. A certain type of of person that matches, you know, narcissistic male, white. Like, sorry, it's not going to be me. So yes. I think they're looking for certain traits that, yes, yes. have had success. And to, to be fair, like, narcissism gets you very far if you don't believe. Uh, that you can fail and you have uh, the confidence that you don't really deserve. I mean, you can withstand quite a lot of (laughs) um, negative feedback. So I do understand why some of those traits are are valued, uh, but I do think we need to start looking at it in a different way and start valuing uh, more feminine traits, if you will, uh, which are empathy and (laughs) kind of building something in a different way. There's like, uh, kind of run through a wall, break everything, scorch the earth, like, uh, you know, style of leadership, which is the only one that's kind of is valued in society. Yes. And they basically just try to train us to be a man in a to behaving that, that way. Um, but there was no talk about actually valuing um, different I things. I agree with you. A hundred percent, a hundred fucking percent. This is literally the exact problem, right? I think we are put in such a box, like this should category of like what it needs to look like. And this is why representation matters more than ever, because we need to see those examples of the non um, Budapest, Mark Zuckerberg's narcissist white. Like we don't need to see that. Like that's not, that's not the only def. that might be a definition of what has proven to be successful, but there is also women like you and me there's a i'm a pakistani mother of two 34 year old immigrant kid right that also built a billion dollar business and we need more of these stories to come out so that it's unfortunate but that proof is what they're looking for 
And it's it's a, it's just such a fucked up cycle. And there's so much to be done about it. I even have tips on like what we can do as consumers. But I'll get there in a second because I want to come off of this. I usually I get really heated when we talk about venture. Well, like, no, I know, but I think it's like that's the like that's the core problem that I've taken away is that I don't think there's any progress being made because all I think that's happening is we're teaching females to behave like men and yes. fit into the Mark Zuckerberg of you know, Elizabeth Holmes, like <laughs> she went that type of route. Like, you know, this is the kind of like display and that you need to have that's <laughs> well over the top and, and just not uh, necessarily a style that comes natural to everyone. Um, but you just, you can't really be seen or heard unless you behave in that way. And I don't think anything is changing with that. I think we're just teaching females to behave that way in that manner and I don't want to say male female but in the manner of masculine energy energy they're looking for when was the last time you heard someone say it's almost too easy when talking about a piece of tech probably never right because tech usually isn't easy tech is usually too complicated too busy and too frustrating when it should honestly be plain and easy HubSpot CRM platform is ridiculously easy to learn use and love and trust me because I use it every day That's because HubSpot is handcrafted, sophisticated system designed for the way teams actually work, not a bunch of cobbled together tools that don't speak to each other. With a suite of powerful tools that seamlessly connect to your teams and customizable hubs that you can add or subtract as you grow, it's not almost too easy to use. It's easy to use, period. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. Running a business is hard. Managing employees is hard. Getting customers through the door is even harder, but getting paid shouldn't have to be. This is where Stacks Payments is here to help. As an intuitive platform for invoicing, recurring billing, in-person, as well as online payments, Stacks is a one-stop hub to get you paid. What's even better? Stacks has one flat fee for the month instead of percentages you can't understand. Stop spending time tracking down customers or payment tools that fail on you. Set your automations up with Stacks Payments today. As CEO and founder of Stacks and CEO School, it's been my mission to support female leaders, founders, and CEOs. With Stacks, I'm able to do so by providing fast, easy, and affordable way to process payments every day for you. Yes, absolutely. And it's 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 so it's so true that that is what is accepted. And I myself, like I will tell you like I have had, and I think for the audience that has been following my journey, and I'm just happy to kind of, you know, share a little bit more again, I was, I feel like I've gone through my own phases of this. And I feel like when I actually found myself as CEO was almost five years into my company, I felt like I was behaving, like I said, like a man in a skirt. Like I was trying to be somebody that I naturally wasn't. I overly tended to masculine um traits that I had. It's not that I didn't have, we all have masculine and feminine energy, but I felt like I had to lean towards a certain style uh, to fit in. And that's what you do. Like it's natural as humans. Like we are creatures of, uh, of community, right? Like we want to have a seat at the table. We want to belong. And that's literally how our uh, ancestors survived. Like even when we think about the primitive uh, you know, prehistoric dinosaur, you know, dinosaur ages, we literally had Neanderthals, like you would die if you weren't part of your village or a part of your crowd, like you couldn't be alone. So you wanted to make sure that you you fit into your community. And so it is like human psychology for us to want to fit in and it's okay, right? But when everybody looks the same, acts the same, you start to adapt and change your behaviors to what that group think and act and behavior also looks like. And I found myself like for the first few years of my career, um, scaling this company, building the business, raising capital, almost like like replicating, like being somebody I wasn't. And when I feel like the my most successful, like when the company was the most successful and there was this huge shift in after I became a mother, like I, I always go back. It's not about becoming a mother. It wasn't about like that piece of it that changed. It was I was, you know, I, I I was in a different place in my life when it came to my emotions and my empathy and what was important. I was questioning a lot of the things that where my time was spent and I couldn't be at happy hours. 
every day, like all the, you know, where everybody was, like everything wasn't around a drinking culture. Everything wasn't around like on a, on a whim that I could take phone calls at 8 p.m. at night and 9 p.m. at night. So it really changed. So my life changed so drastically, but it also, it was also my energy, like how I was displaying my energy in that masculine setting. I was able to just like finally let that go and like be who I was and more of that energy of who I what who Sanira was, which I've always had that I am empathetic, I'm funny, I'm I I'm vulnerable, I have an amazing ability to drive people, like all the things that as females we do such a great job of. I leaned into that and I let go of who right. I needed but, to be. But only after you got there, right? So I think yes. that's the biggest thing is like with any societal gap, you have to act as if and yes, if you are behind unfortunately there's no matter how much we (laughs) yell and scream and kick our feet the only way through is through and you have to actually do all that extra (laughs) just to finally get there and then maybe potentially once there's enough of us on the other side we would be able to have the leverage but i i don't think like we're quite close to that um as of now and i think it it is a, a big problem. And I do think that, unfortunately, it's still the the best way to kind of get involved is like you said. But it's not the right way. To be someone else. It's not, it's not, not it's change. not. No, and I, they're not going to, they're not changing. And you're right. And the easy thing to do, and I, I think this is like my biggest lesson from it all is, and you're right, I, I changed that behavior. I was able to lean in more after I got through like that first several steps, right? And maybe if I had leaned into the feminine energy first, I might not have even gotten through those steps. But I will say that if I look back, the advice that I would give myself was to never like to stay true to myself from the beginning. But because I will say that the success of my company actually changed after that trajectory of myself. And I, I did see... Um, my style and leadership, the way that I was able to like attract my talent, the way that my leadership team grew, like all of the things that also attributed to the success of scale was because I leaned into who I like leaned into my feminine energy. But I hear you. It is, this is a conversation we can definitely have for the next several hours. I think the one thing that we can, we can definitely agree on it's fucked up and there's a lot of stuff that needs to change. But if I were to give the women advice that are listening, like we need i think what what was different maybe in my time and it's we need us to be us like we can't succumb to like becoming a version of who we're not and i think we just have we just have to have that voice to fight for it i think that it's 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 that ability to not take take that not taking that no from like for an answer and if it's not that vc it's the next one it's the next one it's the not giving up part of it that needs to change and it, you're right uh, you know, Tiffany, it's extra exhausting. It's more work. We have to go yeah, like the I million extra mile. Saying, right? Except like just accept that that's what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> and so no matter if you don't want it to happen or not, that is what's going to happen. <laughs> so I think then you can be prepared for yeah. the, the, the journey, um, and, and just really never give up. Uh, and, and, and to be fair, you know, like, uh, a, a male's entrepreneur journey is also very challenging. So it's not that it's not, but this, the trait remains the same. And we have that extra period in the early stages where it is going to be a bigger barrier to entry. The numbers don't lie like that's what it says there's a bigger barrier to entry so just accepting that and being willing to go through um the pain and challenges of it I think that's kind of the lesson but not want not like wanting so badly for it to be different that you don't do the journey (laughs) I I, I'm gonna be sending this episode to many of my venture uh fund investors so and he got hopefully getting their perspective back on this episode, I'd love to invite uh, them onto the show to hear their perspective. I think this is a conversation that, um, you know, it, it is, it, it is, it's eye-opening. And I think that when they hear about it, like, I don't think, like, I, I do think that there's so many allies, right? So many men I have in my life are allies. Like, they don't want this, but it's still not changing. And so there's more that needs to be done. And we don't just need allyship. We need action. And that's what we have to focus on on the other side is the action. But going back 
right, to upkeep because that is what we're here to talk about. You also had a second challenge, right, is that nobody understood your business model because it, it wasn't, it's not Glam Squat, right? It is, a, you know, medical aesthetics. And you're right, for so long, women have kept this as like your best kept secret, right? This is the industry that's supposed to be super discreet. No one's supposed to know. How will they know? They're not going to know. Right. And no, that, you're, that shamed, is- you're shamed for it. Right. So it, it, yeah. it's kind of funny. It's like uh, females. That was like the, and we, and we, we accepted it. We were like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be wanting to do that. I shouldn't want to get eyelash extensions. I shouldn't want to wear lipstick. Like, why did we accept that? <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> You know, and you're and you're right. I, I would say that I think also it comes back down to like men and how men view beauty. I don't want to like make this episode about like an anti-male episode, but my husband, like I'll talk about my own husband. Same same thing. He's like, if you ever do anything, like I I have Botox and I have had filler before. And when I did, when I did Botox, he was like really against it, but he didn't even know that there was like any Botox. When I did lip filler for the first time. Um, he was really upset that I did lip filler and it was like, so, like such a big deal. And, but also, but also all the women that <laughs> I find on your, like your, like all your Instagram and all the things that you, this, this is also part of what you think is beautiful. What society has made beautiful. Um, oh, I, I don't know if anyone watches love is blind, but one of the couples, uh, he was like, I like an all natural girl. And she, you could tell her face went crestfallen and she was like, well, I get Botox. And he was like, so do I. And I was like, this is amazing. Like that would have never happened just a few years ago. No straight male (laughs) would ever like admit to that or accept her as being natural when she gets it. Yet we are allowed to wear deodorant. We're allowed to wear, you know, uh, other types of things that we do to kind of upkeep our appearances. It's just kind of fascinating that this would cause such a visceral angry reaction (laughs) no but even the concept of natural right it's like okay like this is even the concept of natural like like men always say like you know it's like oh i i you know i love you with no makeup or like all that like it's not natural babe like the, the concept of beauty of what you're told as natural beauty is not natural still and there is such a huge like if you want to see natural like we really should be accepting if we want to accept natural beauty there is a lot to be done. So I want to hear your take on natural beauty and like, uh, uh, like, do you have any thoughts on what I'm saying about men and their version of natural beauty? I definitely have thoughts about that, but I think also on the flip side, there's something negative that females do, which is judge <laughs> the more va-va-voom category uh, still. So, you know, yeah. the Kardashians and things like that, it's like, they're immediately targeted as stupid, as, you know, lacking intelligence, as less than. And there's there's just still a widespread narrative about what you can or can't do with your physical appearance and body as a female. And there's a lot of opinions on it. And a no lot. one should be having any opinions about <laughs> other people's choices, regardless whether they want to get all of the work done and that makes them happy and they're living their personal dream or they want to get no work done, grow out their armpit hair, cover themselves in tattoos and and live on a deserted island. Like No one should be judged about the personal choices they make with their fashion their physical appearance, if it's truly making them happy. Of course, you don't want people behaving from a level of insecurity or like feeling less than, but let me tell you, the large majority of these treatments are for us. We do these things because they make us look and feel good about ourselves and they're things that we want to do, like fashion, buying a new pair of shoes. It's now at least become accepted in in that vertical, but utilizing something like this in the same manner is finally getting there, but it just hadn't been uh, thought about or or looked at in that way before. I love that. Amen to that. And I, I, I agree with you. And you're right. That's actually like a, we do judge, right? We're, we're all creatures of that. And there's no, we should all be able to make choices for our own self. And that's our personal, our personal choice. And whether it's men 
or women and whether it's to the extreme or whether it's to what we deem as natural or what we deem as beauty, I think that there – I do wish in a world for like my children though as a mother that we see all kinds of faces. Like that's something that is important uh, to me is to see all kinds of beauty and all kinds of beauty so that my girls can accept like their own beauties in, in whatever category because I only grew up around seeing one kind of beauty. And that to me was always the uh, what I defined as beautiful, right? Which was lighter skin, which was uh, you know uh, absolutely no hair, right? Like it's it's a, a, a very slender, not curvy. Like when I grew up, like I had all the curves, I'm you know, and you know darker skin, and definitely had like facial hair and all the things, right? So my definition of beauty, I've always was really hard on myself because of what I saw in, in magazines and, you know, in everywhere. And it definitely, it's like one hope that I have for my my girls is it's it's not any one kind of beauty. I just want them to see all kinds of people as people so that they can make their own choices in beauty. And and respecting every category, yes. right? So it's like some are still being said like, oh, that, that one is like wrong or like that one's teaching children to do X. It's like, is it or is that that person's personal choice and like kids need to be informed that they can make their choices of their own and that nothing is better than the other and that everything is equal like you know what I mean like how do we instill that in our children that's the conversation we need to have and I have no idea (laughs) I'm not saying I do but giving your child confidence in themselves it's the most important job of a parent for sure. And I certainly don't have uh, <laughs> the answer on how you do that. So, no, I, I, I agree with you. So how are you, you know, I'd love to learn about Upkeep's platform and I want to kind of maybe pivot a little bit into, you know, scaling your company. If you could tell us a little bit about like the business side, like do you, are you getting the, um, you know, how are you finding your vendors and then meeting, matching them to your like customers? So tell us a little bit about the business model of Upkeep because I'm sure one of the stats that when I was reading about your company earlier today that I was honestly the most fascinated in um, is the fact that 80% of your customers end up becoming returning customers. That is a really high retention rate for an app service like this, for mobile services. Like an example, I was actually, uh, me and Michael, my amazing executive assistant, we were chatting about your like your profile today. And him and I were chatting about this statistic. And I was like, remember when I booked that appointment with that massage thing that was like an on-demand massage thing? I like used it once. And that was it. And then I ended up just like keeping my uh, masseuse. But and then like she just comes to my house. But I only ended up using the service like one time. And so when I read your 80% statistic, like that is really impressive. And and that's what you want in any venture backable business is a repeat user. Because the only thing that matters at the end of the day is lifetime value to cost of acquisition. (laughs) Yeah, it does. They're CEO at school. I, I mean, the, the thing is, like, I'm a bit lucky. This category is very sticky. <laughs> Once you start it, uh, there was there was someone that left a kind of angry comment on the Instagram recently. He's like, I wish they would tell you that once you start, you just want to continue forever and then you're spending all this money. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, yours being so negative. But yes, that's the point. <laughs> you do uh, do it forever. And so uh, part of it is just the nature of, of, of the industry is that once you start Botox, you do get it every three months for the rest of your life. And, and so um, it's something that you don't really want to go back from. I think you would think about it as like learning about toothpaste or <laughs> something that just makes your life better and you feel amazing from it. So once you learn about it and try it out for yourself, it does really have that uh, stickiness to it. But the other key point about the platform itself is so matching the consumers with the providers. So in each city, um, it's actually an overlay over the standalone. So it's not actually coming to the home. It's then seeing the appointments at the best providers in their uh, neighborhood. And so we get inbound nationwide and it's like 99% rejection. So this market has now uh, become how restaurants were, right? So there's 
so many small businesses vying for the same dollars that the quality is what bubbles up to the top now. And that was something that didn't really exist before. It was very much run by plastic surgeons who could name any price that they wanted and uh, kind of ask you what you did for a living and and, and, and just base <laughs> random uh, uh, knowledge about you on how much they were going to charge you. So there's a lot of transparency uh, entering the industry. In 2023 in California, the law has finally changed. It's already changed in New York where NPs can go out on their own without a doctor owning 51% of their company, which previous to this, every single relationship like that was mainly a guy doing no work, <laughs> her doing everything, him owning 51% because she needs a medical director. So that's going to be a really exciting shift in the, Ugh, in the, the patriarchy today. Um, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, that to me was like just so shocking that this was supposed to protect people. It absolutely was was not in any way. Um, so that's finally getting changed. Um, so with that surge of quality, amazing injectors, um, we then curate to similar to Glam Squad as far as like, they're guaranteeing you that the blowouts go to amazing, be amazing. So they're vetting um, the people that are coming to perform the treatment. We are vetting the providers and only allowing on the best in each neighborhood pocket and then scaling up the consumer side at the same time. So if you're entering the industry for the first time, you really don't know where to go. You look on Yelp, Google, maybe your friend told you, oftentimes your friend told you because you saw what they had done um, or you're on Instagram or saw a content piece, but you still don't necessarily trust that that's going to be the best thing for you because you know they were trying to sell you something. And of course, as a provider, uh, a, a med spa or a doctor's office, whatever it is, they have to sell the machine that they've bought, right? So there are... Uh, you know, hydrofacial machines and M-Sculpt Neo machines, and these all cost a hundred to uh, $200,000, $300,000. So of course the practitioner has to then sell that specific service to you. So there's just a kind of trust gap where we're actually picking what are the best for the consumer in the market. And then we're not allowing anyone to persuade us in one direction or the other, like hydrofacial had wanted us to do an exclusivity. Like we get inbound from like Revamps, who's the manufacturer of RHA filler, who's gaining some market share away from uh, Juvederm and Restylane, Goldorma and AbbVie. Uh, so the, the market itself is, is quite complex and interesting, but what we're trying to do and what we are doing is giving the best pharmaceutical companies, the best device companies, and the best uh, providers in each city center. And so whenever the user uses the app, they can trust that they're going to have a five-star experience. And that was something that just didn't exist prior to that. You, It really was like search and pull and hope for the best. I think it's it, it truly is so remarkable how you thought of this. And, I, and you're right, right? Because the doctors have to push the products. This is pretty much... Um, an unbiased view, and then you're vetting the doctors. You're, I mean, you're vetting the the um, service providers, injectors, injectors providers, the yeah. service providers, and it's local to the area. You can get the appointments when you want. It's guaranteed to be from a trusted source, which is all we look for. And honestly, because of how hush hush the industry is, like, I, I mean, I talk to my girlfriends about you know where you know what they use, what they're not using. Um, so we have these conversations, but a lot of people don't. Right. And they're like, I want to explore, um, you know, let's say it's a it's a, um, you know, non-surgical uh, M sculpt or a cool sculpting or like a fat loss treatment or whatever. I don't know anybody that's had it. Like, how do I go? Like, do I just like blast my network? Like, who do you ask? Right. Like, and, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah. There are a lot of machines out there and there are is a lot of money being spent on trying to convince you that one is the one that you should be using. So like weeding through all of that information as like an average customer that's not dedicating their life to understanding it is not possible. So we're trying to be that kind of filter um, with all the noise uh, in the industry. 
I think it's so fantastic. How can we check out Upkeep? So how do we, you know, sign up for it? What cities are you in today? What's your plan for scale? So how do we find you? And then what's next? So you can find us in the app store if you just search Upkeep. And then also our website is upkeepbeauty.com. And our Instagram handle is at Upkeep Beauty. That's also our uh, TikTok handle. And we are in Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, Miami, Palm Beach, and most recently, New York. Yeah. We will be going to Texas shortly after that. And so what's next? Is it just opening up the different, the, the markets? What's next from a company standpoint, team standpoint? Are you building your team? Are you looking for your next round of capital? Tell us about the growth and tell us what's next. Yeah. So definitely the expansion throughout the U.S. We also get, you know, kind of comments and inbound around when are you coming to our city? So that's really encouraging to see and we'll make that cross booking just kind of double down. So we do have users that, you know, get a hydrofacial in LA and then get a hydrofacial in Miami and then get a hydrofacial in New York. So opening the app and being able to use it in all of those markets, of course, is very important to us. And we're not raising right now, but uh, we will at some point, <laughs> the the never ending raise. I, I know you probably uh, feel the same way. I think every entrepreneur feels the same way. That the, the, the capital raising and running the business is just the consistent <laughs> thing that never ends. Um, and, uh, you know, then we'll be uh, hiring again and then kind of uh, scaling the, the business throughout the US. So we also have a kind of fintech component to the company. So right now we have a firm on the uh, application. So breaking it up into the monthly payments, if a Morpheus 8 treatment is $1,300, as you can imagine, you would prefer to spend $100 a month on something like that, especially since the results do last over 12 months. But we'll really start getting into our own upkeep pay variables of that. So whether it's a wedding package or, uh, you know, kind of a package up, like this is what you should do first, next, uh, third, and then getting that broken up into those uh, monthly payments and making it more accessible to people and just having that kind of knowledge transfer around best in practice steps without kind of depending on the provider, as we said, who's just end goal is sales, <laughs> where our end goal is making customers happy. Uh, so it's just a different kind of positioning and it gives us a lot more flexibility to offer them things and tell them about things that truly are uh, what will be best for them. I can't wait to download it. And from a business model perspective, because we're junk, we're business junkies here. Are you earning a percentage of revenue on the booking? Yes, exactly. Very cool. Uh, this is amazing, Tiffany. This is like such a fun episode. But thank you for all your knowledge, all your wisdom, all the things. And uh, we felt like we made a new mentor bestie at CEO schools. Running a business is hard. Managing employees is hard. Getting customers to the door is even harder, but getting paid shouldn't have to be. This is where Stacks Payments is here to help. As an intuitive platform for invoicing, recurring billing, in-person, as well as online payments, Stacks is a one-stop hub to get you paid. What's even better? Stacks has one flat fee for the month. Instead of percentages you can't understand. Stop spending time tracking down customers or payment tools that fail on you. Set your automations up with Stacks Payments today. As CEO and founder of Stacks and CEO School, it's been my mission to support female leaders, founders, and CEOs. With Stacks, I'm able to do so by providing fast, easy, and affordable way to process payments every day for you. Thank you for tuning into today's show. If you loved it, leave us a review. We are so proud to bring you authentic conversations, game changer expert guests, and valuable content on and offline. The best compliment you can give us is by screenshotting today's show and tagging us on Instagram at CEO School and at Sanira Madani. We are obsessed with swag, so don't be surprised if we want to send you some. Thanks for tuning into class today. And remember, nothing bad happens when women make more money.